Hello and welcome to another edition of Heart of Healthcare. My name is Dr. Jan Bonhoeffer, and these podcasts are about helping physicians restore balance in their lives so we can co-create a medical system that benefits everyone. A quick reminder that you can find more information about our nonprofit Heart-Based Medicine and the work we do to support healthcare professionals at heartbasedmedicine.org. Hello and welcome to the Heart of Healthcare podcast series two, episode four, when we're asking why it's vital to share patient stories to deepen the public's understanding of how the medical profession operates in the emergency wards. Healthcare professionals are often finding themselves in a situation where our professional decision-making is biased. And from science, we really don't like bias. And in clinical care, we have to really quite often keep up with it. And the biases that we're facing are so often referred to as system biases or system problems, or it's, it's because of the system. <laughs> and we'd like to break this down today a little bit and look at what are those biases and where are those pressures. We're all aware of the economic requirements and of legal requirements that we have to live up to. And we are also aware of an increasing number um, of health outcome metrics that are all well-intended, but sometimes may actually be uh, in the way of giving the best medical treatment to the patient in front of us, to the individual patient. So today, allow me to introduce uh, two really fantastic new guests who are extraordinarily well-positioned to to dive into this conversation with us. Um, I'd like to really welcome Dr. Luan Welford, who has practiced emergency medicine for over 30 years. And early in her career, she served eight years in the U.S. Army. And Over her decades in medicine, she has encountered many heartwarming and heart-wrenching stories. She has witnessed the physical, emotional, and financial impact of an illness or accidents on its victims. So welcome, Luan. Thank you for having us. So we're also welcoming today Alex, her son. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Tell us about where you are in your medical career. Um, so I'm actually about to start my residency training um, over at a private hospital in New Orleans. I'm very excited to get started here in about a week or two, actually. Fantastic. So we have kind of present medicine and the future of medicine <laughs> um, with us today. And of course, as in the last episode, um, today we'll be joined by Dr. Dan Dinenberg, um, who is uh, double board certified in family medicine and integrative holistic medicine. And so let's dive into this conversation. And, and Luan, you have actually, besides your daily work, um, you have shared with us that you are writing a book and you have, this has come out of reflections um, on your vast experience. And you heard, this book is around one particular story it's kind of it starts is about one particular story that you have experienced would you like to share with us what that was sure um i've I've actually been interested in writing for a long time but i could never figure out you know what kind of story i wanted to tell and um 
a close friend of ours has ha just had her second heart transplant, um, 26 years apart. Um, and her story is just fascinating. The relationships that came out of this heart transplant, the, she's had a 20-year relationship with her donor family. She fell in love with her cardiologist and married the doctor who saved her life when she had cardiac arrest. And the story just goes on from there. It's just amazing. Um, so I really wanted to use that story, which is sort of a love story, to also give people a glimpse into the, the medical world and just see what someone goes through when they suffer a, a life-threatening or you know life-ending illness and and also to show not only the transplant recipient's story but um, what's unusual is to also show the donor story in the same story and so um, both of their stories are kind of told parallel this is very unique this is a very unique story and um in the way that you've told me this story in a longer version <laughs> in, in a previous call, I was really moved by how you have shared how this has changed your perspective on your profession. Yeah, if, you know, sometimes, you know, I guess in every job you get guilty of getting caught up in the daily grind. And we have to remind ourselves sometimes that this is this is someone's life. It may be the routine for us, but it, they're terrified, or you know, whatever is going on with them can affect their their life or their family for a long time. And so, I think it really brought me back into seeing through the patient's eyes for one, and then just realizing that when people are acting a certain way or angry or whatever, you, you just don't know what's going on in their life that's bringing them to that point in that behavior or whatever it is. Um, so I think it's just something we constantly have to remember. Yeah. It is an interesting phenomenon that whenever a healthcare professional who's been working for a while actually is on the other side, so is in the patient's position, that this is really kind of an awakening moment. And it kind of really changes the way that we're practicing isn't that alarming? I think it's human nature, but I think it does take, you know, a step back every once in a while, either when you become a patient or have a procedure, and then you realize, oh, this is what it's like on the other side of things. I just think that you need these constant reminders. Yeah. So maybe, Alex, maybe this is um, a question for you. When you went through medical school, and so you have had, you were kind of jaded to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> so now, what is, wh how does this sound to you when you hear this? So you're now about to kind of go into this practice and you're now about to, you know, start your residency and be exposed to lots of stories and time pressures and legal pressures and economic pressures that you're not having a full, a full idea of <laughs> yet, but you started with a flame, right? There's this spark that actually got you into this profession. And do you already see that something happened between day one of your medical school and, and now that you're going into residency? Um, have I noticed um, a decrease, is that what you're saying? Or a change in what, what kind of change in, in how you see patients or how you see, how you perceive yourself in the face of somebody who is needing your attention or is looking for your help? Mm -hmm. um, 
So yeah, I totally, um, I definitely would say that there's kind of a somewhat of not detachment, but um, compartmentalization sorry, of, um, you know, patience and the human aspect. And while trying to still remain compassionate um, and also removing yourself in some ways so you don't have to deal with the emotional trauma of someone who just died in front of you, per se. Um, I have noticed myself... Um, I'd say putting those, you know, trying to put things into different boxes, I guess. Um, moving forward into residency, though, something I would like to be able to continue to do is bring, you know, the same amount of compassion to each patient. Um, as a medical student, you have a very small amount of patients, so you can give them your full undivided attention to make sure they are getting the best possible, you know, best possible you you have. Um, in residency, though, you know, your numbers get scaled up. And um, I'm hoping I can continue to bring that while increasing the amount of patients I see. Yeah, beautiful. I can, <laughs> we can relate to that, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's, let's come back to this later and see what might it take for you to be able to manage this, kind of to really see that, that the intention that you have now gets, get, you know, to, becomes reality. Let's see what, what that takes. Just before we do this, I'd like to um, shift to Dan. Because um, Dan, you've been through medical training, obviously, and through residency. <laughs> and so you're like a step on from, from Alex now. And I wonder um, how you see this now. So basically now, once having been through um the training and then actually moving on from that to your private practice, what is what advice do you have for Alex? <laughs> what helped you on the way? Thanks, Jan. It's it's amazing to give perspective as we grow and experience because I think that the what what Alex is speaking to is that best version of ourselves and how to maintain that and create that in a daily process. So, you know, the difference between kind of medical school and training is the numbers and the numbers have uh, pressures to it. Whereas kind of what was described as the daily grind, the routine, as Luann had kind of mentioned it. And I think where we're, where we're talking here, and I think Luann giving that um, perspective on that story is, is how to see it through the patient's eyes. And so to show up in each and every patient encounter, knowing that for them, this is the moment that they're with the physician. This is a moment that is a really important, challenging, and a lot of times uncertain and maybe even scary moment for them. And so what you can do and the subtleties of how you do it. And so um, I would bring a deep awareness into who you are and spend a lot of time in sort of how you can show up and how you show up for yourself ends up being how you show up for your patients in that way. And so, you know, what we've discussed is a lot of, you know, in training, there is this aspect of, you know, trying so hard and pushing yourself. And at some point we realize that there's a, there's a release valve that needs to happen within that training. And so if you can create that ebb and flow 
as you progress and realize when you're getting under tons of pressure and then what you need to do to release that for yourselves and then to start to share that, Alex, with your patients. And then that way you kind of normalize the experience and you can really be there with them. You know, in my own experience of that, I think that that, that becomes incredibly important because what, when you see something through your patient's eyes, I've actually come into a place where I would consider what I'm doing a lot more precision medicine, a lot more bespoke model. A lot of times it's, it's challenging to even come up with what really is the medicine now because I'm acting as really a physician guide. And that's what I consider myself. And so I really put myself, I reflect and put myself in the patient's, my understanding of what the patient is going through to create these healing journeys that is really individualized to where they are and how to bring them into a place. And so what that requires is all of the skills of deep listening and presence and understanding and really empathizing and when you do that, then you could bring someone into, into a more individualized, precision understanding of where they can go. Now, that's exciting and that's amazing, but I'm sort of back into a model where I'm seeing less clients and spending an enormous amount of time. So I'm actually interested not to take this back, but Luann, you know, what I heard is, you know, the U.S. Army and, you know, in a really, you know, as an emergency room physician, it's a really kind of a, a, a more intense environment. And so, you know, it's wonderful to be able to play. And yes, I've evolved in my career to be able to do this. And I'm actually doing incredible medicine, what feels like incredible medicine. I'm actually curious, you know, how do you bring what we're talking about now in that front line, in that intense pressured situation because that's er that's in the army that's you know that's right there is that something if you don't mind speaking to because i think that will illustrate what we're trying to do and how to do that as an er physician maybe in residency yeah well like you said i'm kind of the other extreme is that we are in a time crunch and there's never an end to the flow of patients coming in the door and we don't know you know what's the next really serious one. And so it's very hard to juggle. Um, you know, I kind of have to listen to that patient at that time, but you know, there are times where I have to excuse myself and say, I I'm sorry, I gotta go, I'll be back. And you know, you hope people understand that. Um, but yeah, it's a very hard thing to do. And, um, and I don't, my patients don't get a lot of the time. And so you have to make sure the time they get is the best, that you know you can give in those few minutes you know it may be only five minutes the entire encounter um but you know i've learned in one there's always there's frequently an agenda or something that the patient wants that they're not always verbalizing and it's sometimes it's just they're afraid they're dying of cancer because their mom just got diagnosed with it or something and so i've learned to ask you know what what can i do to help you or why are you here or is there something else that we're not addressing um, because otherwise there's frequently something left hanging and you, you didn't really you solve what they came for. Yeah, I think you're, you're describing the situation really well where um, you're at the extreme end in medicine that is very standardized, very protocolized, very algorithmified, <laughs> where there's sort of about that the technical stuff is really 
is, is very algorithmically determined so that an entire team can function like a single organism <laughs> to, to, to act, to do the right thing within a few minutes. So that's very unlikely if everybody is kind of a creative artist, <laughs> that's gonna be really challenging to, to have 10 people around a person saving a life. Um, if, if, if there's, there isn't a shared understanding about a common path and yet there are these individuals meeting in this, in this compressed moment of time. And, and we do have the experiences that we do. And when we, when we don't give them attention, then we become cynical. And then you get this kind of typical ER doctor cynicism or the pathologist cynicism or the, you know, the different variations on the theme where every branch within medicine has their own recognizable cynicism that we can, we can almost tell by the jokes that somebody makes is what, what kind of profession, what kind of <laughs> discipline they work in, right? So that's such a high price to pay. And while it may serve sort of as a painkiller, at the moment, um, it starts to pile up. And I wonder what might be ways so that, that we could introduce so that Alex doesn't have to go through the same process. You know, that he can actually kind of stand on our shoulders rather than have to, you know, sip our soup, you know? <laughs> so what, what might it be? What work, Luan, could you, are there things in, in your history, in, in your um, experience are there if you like take homes that you would like to give to your son yeah. <laughs> look these are situations um, these are situations that 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 I have seen and and I'd like you to be aware that this is where gradually 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 you know we're losing ground and we're kind of being lured into some story into some some narrative that isn't really healthy are there kind of critical control points? <laughs> yeah, I think there are, you know, in general, um, you know, like they say, it takes a village. I mean, medicine is a village too. And um, I, I think I've found, especially after a cardiac arrest or a death or, a, you know, a very stressful event in the emergency room, um, talking to my partners, you know, and bouncing things off each other and talking to the nurses and the debrief and just how did things go? I think that once we all realize we're all going through the same emotional feelings of what just happened, that it, it helps to talk to other people about it. So you're not alone. You're not an island going through this. Everybody's experiencing it. Um, and then I think the other thing that, that um, well, you know, every, every individual finds their way of dealing with it. But I guess that's where the writing came in for me is um, I found it very cathartic to just things I had kept bottled up or my experiences all these years to actually just be able to put it down on paper and, and kind of channel it that way, I think helped a lot. Yeah. And, and in the way that we are, is there any kind of training? I'm just thinking about the psychiatric um, colleagues, right? There's like years of training in supervision and intervision and violent groups. And, and many, many would actually also look for coaching outside and, is there, is there like formal training um, or is there a way that you have learned or that is there a kind of trained way in how you're sharing, how you're debriefing after a traumatic event or how you're dealing with this? Or is, is, is this kind of freestyle and everybody does their best? I think some hospitals probably have an organized debrief, but again, you know, 
soon as we finish one thing, we have to move on to the next patient. There, there's eight more patients waiting. And so I, I think it's freestyle. It's just mostly when you get the chance to, to actually sit down and talk about it or, and it may even be days later when you just call up a colleague or a friend, you know, it may not even be that same shift, but I just think it's important to talk about it and not keep it bottled in. If you were to propose to your colleagues or in your company or to other, you know, groups of emergency physicians that it was useful to make it part of our working hours to take care of ourselves, that self-care is really a basis, basically put on the oxygen mask for yourself before you stick the tube into the patient's throat to say, you know, is there, is there, is there, would you think that, that this would find resonance? Would you find, would you, what would happen? What responses would you expect from your colleagues? In what way? You mean like a formalized sitting and talking kind of? Yeah, let's what whatever it might be. If if you're saying, well, let's establish ways that you know, if if you were to say, I've experienced for myself that actually I didn't allow myself enough debriefing time and 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 really um, integrating the experiences, and I didn't really. Um, take care of myself enough during this time that I, that I work to serve others hours and hours and hours on end one after the other. And I could kind of hardly take a breath myself in between. <laughs> so is there, is there a way to inspire others or make it, could you see that it's part of that self-care practices, um, sharing in the group? How, how do you feel? What is it that you need? Are you taking care of yourself before you go and save lives? Do you, do you think colleagues would embark on this or do you think this would meet kind of resistance in terms of, ah, I don't need this. I'm, I'm an emergency physician. I don't need self-care. I think everybody probably just kind of learns on their own. I mean, we, there would be no one time where we could all sit and talk because we have five doctors on at a time and we're staggered every two hours. So everybody's shifts are ending at different times. And, um, but I think, you know, over the years people learn, I need to drink water during my shift or I need to go have lunch or actually take a bathroom break because you can't go 12 hours, you know, and without fluids. And, um, I think a lot of us tried to do that at the beginning and I, you just have to learn that, you know, you have to take a few minutes, you know, things aren't going to fall apart if you leave for five minutes and, go get a drink of water or whatever it is. Alex, was any of this included in your medical training so far? Did anybody talk about self-care and what you can do to kind of stay alive during your work time? Yeah. So in medical school, um, they had a good amount of uh, emphasis on self-care and a lot of, they kind of bunched it into our um, ethics class and um, actually had a little bit of mindfulness uh, training as well. Um, something I just did um, in my mindfulness training a module for my new hospital actually uh, something I saw that I thought was very interesting was um, basically taking like a long mindful breath before going into each patient room and basically allowing that to like with that exhale leave every all the other patients you were just you know seeing or worrying about all the stuff you were dealing with at home and exhaling that rest of that day and going in with the fresh new uh, mind to give like we were talking about earlier your best self to that brand new patient. Um, and they actually have been doing um, a pretty good job of uh, including stuff like mindfulness into formalized medical training. 
which I've been really uh, excited to see actually. Wow, that is very fortunate. I think you should probably broadcast that. <laughs> um, um, it would be wonderful to have uh, uh, to include the. Uh, I, I'm not sure how the medical school is structured in in uh, in Switzerland. It would be the vice dean for um, undergraduate um, uh, studies. Um, if you if you, uh, I'd I'd be excited to talk to him and uh, have a podcast um, here and, and hear from him why this was introduced at the medical school. I think this is just, so far, there's still a few medical schools worldwide that are actually doing this. So that's very, very pioneering and really exciting to hear. Dan, how, how is this for you? So you went through the, 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 the classic, like the conventional medical training, and then you added the functional medicine holistic training thereafter. If you were to compare these two trainings in terms of how much emphasis is given to self-care and the role of self-care in these two training um, syllabus, I guess, is there, what, what is it that, that you saw as a difference? There's definitely a different emphasis. I think from a... Um the integrative holistic program is like from its inception, there was sort of a questionnaire sort of on mind, body, spirit, and really an awareness into your own inner workings. And so I think from a conventional approach, there's much less of a diving into your own. It's almost as if you yourself are kind of untouchable. You've gone through a period of time where you've become this you know powerful entity that can take care of others and that you yourself are not questioning your own kind of ability to do that and so there's an aspect of that i mean to be fair sort of like alex is talking i did you know choose and find ucsf uh program up in santa rosa which is known to be a much more holistic uh, thought process within medicine, within, you know, an understanding. So even from a conventional residency training, I feel like there was a much more patient-centered model. It's a community medicine program. And so, you know, and it's, it's known to be an underserved program. And so there's a lot of emphasis on taking care of the community at large. And so I think from there, even though the training wasn't inherently focused on it, when you're taking care of an underserved population and you're among colleagues that are there to get the best training that they possibly can by taking care of someone, I think that the holistic mindset kind of seeps into it. But it's different. It's different in sort of how those... Um, how those are set up. And I think for myself, that's where it becomes the bridge where I end up bridging one to another and kind of show up for a patient and be able to do that. Um, I love how Alex is kind of bringing that mindful breath because ultimately like inspiros, the word itself and to inspire, to inhale is actually the inspiration that we're bringing. So, you know, just as uh, sh sharing that, it's like we inspire we bring in that breath and we are able to show up for another in that way. And that becomes extremely important. And I think that um, what we're really getting at here, because we are talking about different different sides of the spectrum. Like I've purposely created 
a way of supporting others, which is outside of a, of a, of a clinic setting or an ER setting where you have back to back and you have this sort of staggered approach. One thing that I'm really interested in is, you know, Luanda is kind of mentioning, well, how would five physicians be there at the same time? That's just not how it's created. But because we have, you know, the young moving into a field, is there a way to create that? Like, can we create an environment where that could exist? Or are we just handed down, well, this is how we, um, we stagger in order to support? Like, that's where I'm excited about this conversation to move into is like, is there an opportunity? Is there a chance to create the breath, the inspiration, even with an emergency room setting where the physicians themselves are taken care of and they don't have to learn along the way? It's not like, you know, I think Luann kind of brought up the trial and error that we've all gone through, which is, hey, I tried to do a 12-hour shift without, without going to the bathroom and it didn't work real well or without drinking or without, like, that's, that's the experience of all of us of being alive. But now this is an opportunity. How do we create an environment which is actually serving in order to do that, in order to kind of move through? Luann, I guess from, from our previous conversation, it really struck me in how... You said, yes, time pressure is one, but then the economic pressure is another and the legal pressure is a third. And then, then on top of it, we have to deal with the health outcome metrics and kind of meet all of these requirements. And so basically our actions as healthcare professionals are driven by this, by this horizon almost of requirements that are non-medical. And mm -hmm. it, what would it take what would it take for us, if you like, to reclaim our sovereignty as healthcare professionals in this very economically, you know, in this system that is driven by economic interests and by, let's say, legal fear? What might it take for us to, to reclaim our, our sovereignty, particularly in your situation? What, what, what are ways that you found work? I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, there are obviously the advocating groups through our, our medical professional groups, I, you know, I kind of rely on that. Some of the people in my group are very involved in, in trying to legislate some of those changes. Um, Texas is actually very friendly um, as far as physicians and, and uh, lawsuits and things. So it is a healthier environment from the legal standpoint for us here, especially for emergency physicians. Um, but as far as the the outside rules and regulations and metrics, I don't know, except that, you know, our professional organizations using data-driven medicine to say some of these things aren't appropriate or don't actually work and, and kind of having them fight the battle, I guess. I don't know. It's very hard as an individual physician to, to make those changes. Yeah. It's, I, <laughs> I guess part of it is kind of a top-down approach where, yeah, where we need, um, if you like unions almost, <laughs> I guess that's something that is, that is uh, not available in every country <laughs> and for, for physicians. And, and another aspect is like a culture change. And what I see now with, with the story that, that the very encouraging story that Alex is sharing is that actually there's a way that we can do this bottom up <laughs> where there's a next generation coming in that has actually learned about mindfulness from the get-go and that has actually learned about kind of self-reflection in medical school already. And, 
and if this, if you like, uh, if if healthcare professionals acculturated in this kind of way are coming to the starting line now, then there might be there might be hope for a bottom up culture change as well. So possibly we can, you know, while we hope for the old folks to represent yeah. as well in politics, we can just as well start pushing from underneath <laughs> and, and see what, how this could work. Alex, I wonder from your perspective, and it might be just a few weeks too early to ask you this question. As you <laughs> but from, your, from your point of view, do you have a sense from what you want and from what your intentions are that you can actually keep up this inner spark and that you can maintain this compassion that you naturally feel and that you don't want to see this suffocated and that therefore you're appreciating this, this, these, this fragmented, but Hey, precious training that you had on mindfulness. Um, do you see yourself um, feel like alone with this? Is this something you can talk about with your fellow students or with your fellow residents, those that are now moving into residency? Is this something you talk about? And, and how is it talked about? Um, yeah, I feel like this is a pretty um, common uh, or shared, I guess, um, and discussed topic. Um, people now are like, are, like you were saying, now that it's been kind of a bottom-up approach, uh, given um, this type of material to students from the beginning, it definitely sparks um, a more of a conversation uh, among students and young doctors um, that maybe in the past it might not have been um, the case as much. Um, but keeping that spark alive um, is definitely something that we all have to you know, think about, and especially with compassion fatigue and burnout. Um, and kind of like Daniel was saying earlier, um, treating, treating the patient from, or looking at that from their perspective. Um, and not just thinking, oh, there's another chest pain coming in the door. Um, it's what is there's this person who's experiencing chest pain who has their own individual problems and life stressors and s individual circumstances um, that may not be actually part of their physical condition. Um, like my mom was saying a second ago or a minute ago, um, why why today? Like why what are we not addressing for you? You know, making sure we're looking at uh, not just the numbers and the science behind it, but still keeping um, every day and every shift, um, what is this person in front of me need and how can, um, how can I get um, fulfill their needs the best possible? It's really amazing. This is, uh, thank you for sharing this. Uh, this is very encouraging. I think this is a very exciting conversation where we have kind of the emergency physicians on the one hand, and we have the bespoke um, health journey on the other hand. So where time is kind of one of the key kind of factors that, that we can play with or not play with. And then also between the two of you, we're looking at different generations from you know, experiencing the extremes and the environment of the army and the emergency room where a lot used to be in a kind of um, um, yeah, well, it's a military language, right? It's, it's about fighting disease and winning the war against. And so this is, it, it creates a narrative and a mindset um, that is very understandable because that's a lot where medicine has come from, um, being inundated with disease and being inundated with catastrophic events. And this has been the best way possible to handle this. 
And now you're seeing Alex is kind of representing a next generation <laughs> where where this starts to melt a little bit and where there's a where there's an evolution that we can see coming up on the horizon that really feels good for those starting off. It feels like there's a there's actually something that is nourishing coming my way. <laughs> and there's something that that I can hold on to as I'm kind of out there on the wild ocean <laughs> swimming by myself. <laughs> so that is uh that's really exciting to have that conversation. Let me see, Dan, would you like to, um, do you have a, a closing comment? Thank you, John. I really, I do. I do have a closing comment because I see the juxtaposition that you're creating here. And I love between, you know, the experience levels and the time. And I think what I, I think ultimately it's like the Gandhi quote of being the change we want to see in the world. And the way that I see the future of what this is, is I think health metrics are going to drive this because there is a financial modeling here. We can't just say that that doesn't exist because it does. But we could set up the emergency room physicians in a place where they're doing the best of what they're doing. If it's acute care, let them be heroes in the acute care model and let them be able to kind of support them to do that. And then let's realize that the entirety of our care continuum is not necessarily that. So, you know, there's plenty of people that slip into the emergency room that are should be seen from a primary care. So as an integrative holistic family doc, I know there are people that are coming into the emergency room that shouldn't really be there, you know? And so Luann in her busy day is spending those five minutes because she realized that what they need, she needs to triage. And that's what she's learned in her army training. That's like what ER is about. And so setting up a dynamic model where we're meeting the health metrics so the financials are there but everyone is actually doing what they do best and in the in the time-centered approach for that so i actually have hope when we hear kind of alex entering in that with presence and mindfulness and inspiration and i love that luann's kind of bringing in all of her experiences in the writing and that I'm able to do these bespoke healing journeys because all of us then can play this authentic expression of who we are. And I think that that is the future of a, of a very healthy medical model. Great final uh, comment. Let me thank you for being on the show. Uh, this has been a really um, exciting uh, episode and um, I would uh, just well, I hope that everybody who's listened in and, and joined us during this season um, has uh, enjoyed the chat with you. And um, if you're listening in, you can find more information at heartbasedmedicine.org. And I deeply appreciate if you could click subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. And I wish you all the best until the next time. And thanks for listening and take care. This has been a Heart-Based Medicine production. Thanks for listening.